You're listening to 106.9 here on Tune FM, and we are counting down the days until World Environment Day. And to mark the occasion, we are joined by a lecturer here at UNE, an academic that has done a lot of work in the fields of environment and environmental science, including land management and biodiversity, and that is Dr. Eric Nordberg. Uh, Dr. Nordberg, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So I understand that you're, that a lot of your work focuses on land management. Is there anything in particular that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, so a lot of my research focuses on uh, how landscapes change wildlife communities. So we're interested in looking at uh, the changes in, in uh, habitats. Um, so changing from forests or grasslands to agricultural land or uh, agricultural land into solar farms and renewable energy areas. So we're just interested in looking at how uh, changes in that landscape influence where and uh, how uh, wildlife respond to that. Certainly, and I would imagine there's been a bit of an increase in changing landscapes over the last few years as obviously we've experienced quite a few uh, natural disasters, I feel like is the, the best way to, to put it. Have you noticed that there's been a more uh, strong uptick in changing landscapes in the last, say, five, ten years? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we're definitely getting a lot more interest in uh, kind of natural uh, natural disasters and natural uh, phenomenon that, that alter landscapes, so things like floods and fires, um, as well as uh, just kind of constant landscape changes for uh, industry use or development um, and projects like that. So yeah, we, we're definitely seeing uh, an uptick in both of those things. Yeah, okay, that's fantastic. Is there anything that UNE is doing uh, over the next few days or weeks to mark World Environment Day? Not sure of anything in particular. Um, nope, that's okay. <laughs> just uh, wanted to just make sure that we yeah. weren't, that there might be um, any sort of events or anything that we could mark, that we could advertise but no that's all good if there's no i think that it's more it, it strikes me as more of a day that's more uh about raising awareness than any actual practical than any sort of day with any practical implications given that you know we are unfortunately losing a great deal of uh natural habitat over the last over, well over the last few decades uh, definitely but especially uh, at an at an accelerated rate over the last few years um is which is uh the unfortunate truth of the matter do what do you think UNE is doing uh, enough in regards to raising awareness of conservation and uh, enough conservation efforts itself yeah so UNE does do uh quite a bit of um raising awareness like you said for um Understanding our environment, but also treasuring what we do have um, and, and understanding how changes to that landscape influence kind of the greater picture. So we obviously use that for, um, you know, benefits to us as humans, uh, as natural areas to go and enjoy um, and increase our mental health, but also as food production. And we need to preserve natural areas as well so that not only we can enjoy it, but, but wildlife as well. Um, and so I think, yeah, UNI does quite a good job at um, looking at it from multiple different angles, you know, with uh, expertise in agriculture and wildlife conservation. Uh, so we can look at it from from multiple angles. Do you, uh, I understand that there is a renewables hub here uh, at UNE or UNE is involved with the renewables hub. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So as the tablelands have been designated as one of the renewable energy hubs uh, or of the region, <coughs> renewable energy zone, that is, um, as many people can see from driving around town, there's lots of uh, solar farms getting uh, built and constructed in the region. And so um, a few years ago, I was interested in looking at the impacts of renewables on, on landscapes uh, and decided to put together a, a group of uh, a collective of researchers and, and, and experts uh, that are interested in that space. So the Renewable Energies Hub here at UNE is really to um, 
pulled together experts from across multiple disciplines. So people in agriculture and social sciences and law and policy, biodiversity, um, soil sciences, agronomy, um, anybody interested in that space to um, just create a better network so that we can collectively um, communicate with industry partners, uh, come up with collaborative research projects, um, and just have a, a more cohesive group in that space. Do you think Australia as a whole is doing uh, is moving towards a completely renewable future quickly enough, or do you think we should be going a little faster than we currently are? Uh, things are definitely changing quite quickly, um, and I think we one important thing is to uh, understand how we can make sure that these changes are are ecologically um, and environmentally uh, sound as well. So we don't want to just build a, a million solar farms if there's going to be negative effects of that um, or things that we could have done to manage that landscape in a, in a different way to have extra benefits. Um, and so not to say that we, we need to slow things down, but I think our, our research on the back end should pick up rather um, to, to try and find out um, best practices and how different land management strategies, even within uh, renewables, can uh, benefit through uh, expert advice and, and research. No, definitely. Do you think that there's been a, um, in the Northern Tablelands, especially the New England area uh, that UNE, of course, sits on, has there been much of, cha of a changing population of wildlife over the last few years? Has there been any big shifts that I guess have uh, made any, that have made people raise their eyebrows? Um, there's always changes in populations. Uh, we're just now beginning to um, run some pilot studies and some, some work to look at changes in wildlife populations on renewables, um, using UNE's solar farm as a, as a great example. Um, and so we've been using that with a couple of, of units that we teach um, within the university, but also um, research students using that as a site. Um, so we're, we're at the very early stages of um, gathering information and um, hopefully being able to use that to, to scale this up to some larger solar farms in the area. That'd be fantastic. And I think even better if it's, if A, if it upscales to, like you said, more in the area, but if it could go even bigger than that, if it could go across, you know, statewide, countrywide, you know, not to get ahead of, get ahead of things or not to move too, too quickly, but it's, you know, the potential is definitely out there. Do you think that um, this research that you're doing, of course, and that the uh, efforts in conservation and renewable research that UNE is embarking on, do you think that's uh, beneficial for students that are coming through and studying things like um, uh, agriculture, for instance, or agronomy or any sort of land-based sciences? Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's the really interesting thing about a lot of the renewable projects. Um, so again, solar, for example, that we can look at it from multiple different angles uh, and people can have interests for a variety of different reasons, but you know, a, a grazier might be interested in using that space to, to graze, uh, you know, sheep underneath the solar panels. So that provides forage and area for, for a grazer, but also has benefits to the solar company for um, vegetation management. So rather than spraying herbicides and things like that for vegetation control so that they don't shade out the panels, you can have kind of a win-win situation where you've got happy farmers, um, livestock production while also creating green energy. And uh, even on the opposite end of that spectrum, um, we as wildlife biologists are interested in knowing, does, do solar farms support uh, wildlife habitat? And so can animals, wild animals, also thrive in those environments? Um, and so that's really what a lot of, uh, of my research in particular is interested in, is trying to find these kind of win-win solutions where we can use the same land for multiple benefits. Are you, have, you noted, have you found that there is, that, um, have you found that animals are, are positively impacted by having renewable uh, projects like um, solar farms, wind farms. Have you not, have you found anything um, indicative as of yet? Yeah. So with um, the first about year or so of data, we've um, been trapping lots of animals around the the solar farm um, in kind of the adjacent farmlands and comparing that to what we find in the solar farm. 
Um, and preliminarily, it seems like they're quite similar. So we do find lots of skinks and lizards and snakes um, in, in the solar farms as well. Um, given that most solar farms are heavily fenced to keep people out, obviously, as a security issue, um, we don't find a lot of uh, larger mammals and things like that. But of course, no fence is completely impenetrable. So there's always little gaps and things to find uh, small mammals inside um, those areas as well. But yeah, preliminarily, it's um, it's really promising to see that, yep, it's definitely uh, supporting at least some level of, of wildlife. Uh, and we've also got um, people looking at uh, invertebrates as well. So all the bugs and critters and pollinators in those areas as well. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm glad that you mentioned the, the fencing issue because I just had the ridiculous thought in my head of kangaroos just bouncing, just hopping through the hopping through the solar farm and wreaking all sorts of havoc. So thankfully that's not a, that's not really something we've got to worry about. Um, we've seen a lot lately uh, when it comes to discourse around renewables, around farming, around, um, you know, agriculture and agronomy and people that, you know, make living off of, agriculture and farming and what have you, we see a lot of discourse around uh, the idea that renewables would be a negative thing because there would be, you know, it would impact um, graziers' ability to, to work, it would impact farmers. But from the sounds of it, it almost seems like the two can work hand in hand rather than antagonistically. Like you said, um, you can uh, have a win-win situation. And I assume that's that's more or less something that, that you are focusing on is to try and find the best way to to not oversimplify the course, but to keep all parties happy. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a lot of, um, whether that's miscommunication or just kind of uh, general thoughts about what um, solar farms are going to do to farming landscapes. And so I don't think it's anybody's, you know, primary goal to replace um, highly productive agricultural areas with a solar farm. Rather, it would be more beneficial to, to put solar farms on already degraded landscapes, whether they're heavily overgrazed or they've um, you know, lost lots of their nutrient values and they're not very productive, those are the areas that have the most um, kind of potential to rehabilitate. And so by putting a solar farm on a really highly productive grazing landscape doesn't make much sense. Um, you're just trading one industry for the, for the next. Um, whereas if we can strategize where to put solar farms um, and focus on those already degraded landscapes that have the most potential to, to have benefit from them, um, that's really where we need to, to focus our energy. And so, again, I think it's just making sure that that message is clear um, and hopefully the, the uh, solar farm you know, production teams and where they are designing where these farms are going also have that, um, that insight. Do you have any uh, tips for people who maybe want to reduce their ecological footprint? Um, I guess just be conscious of uh, the products you buy and, you know, make sure you're recycling and doing all those, um, you know, typical things. But uh, just, yeah, making your voice heard about what you want the landscapes to be and, you know, supporting people that are interested in uh, keeping wild places wild and, uh, you know, eco-friendly practices. And thankfully here in Armadale, we are quite lucky in that we have something of, I believe the old phrase is four seasons in a week. And while that is slightly tongue in cheek, we do, we are of course very, very lucky because each season in Armadale is quite beautiful in its own way. Uh, the best example I can give for any of our students out there or staff who are listening, uh, people who might be new to the Armadale region, just take a little walk along Elm Avenue in summer and do it for each uh, season as it comes through. You will see a rapidly changing, but equally as beautiful uh, uh, landscape as 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 each season has to offer because they are all pretty spectacular uh thank you so much for joining us dr nobrook i really appreciate your time yeah no worries thanks for having me oh it's our pleasure you're listening to 106.9 here on tune fm and you're listening to the home of une's student powered radio